Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Fury Tales, the podcast dedicated to providing you with chilling tales and the history behind all your favorite fears and frights. I'm your mesmerizing host, Paul Dennis. The art of hypnotism has been the subject of both the willing and the skeptical. Performances of grand types of hypnotism where mesmerists would make a weak-minded person dance or become a different animal have astounded audiences for centuries. The art of hypnotism has even been used in medical practices to help patients suffering from PTSD, anxiety, and other mental health issues. Put into practice by German doctor Franz Mesmer, the theory is that each creature has a mysterious body fluid that can be manipulated and made to control others. While most of the conceived practices of mesmerism are positive or even considered parlor tricks, Edgar Allan Poe had a different idea for what it could be used for. This week, I will be looking into a particularly curious gentleman and his experiences with hypnotism. Listen to my voice. Focus. You're getting very sleepy. Now, let us review the facts of the case of M. Valdemar. Now, grab a warm drink for this cool night. Lock the doors. Check under the bed and in the closet. Settle into your favorite seat and listen closely. It's time for another fairy tale. Efforts to keep an account of the case of Monsieur Valdemar from the public cannot prevent leaks of certain details. Consequently, what the public has heard previously was a distorted account. Many people reacted with disbelief at what they heard. It is now rendered necessary that I give the facts, as far as I comprehend them myself. For three years I had been studying mesmerism, and I had come to the realization that no one has ever tried the technique on a dying person. How would it affect them, I wondered. Could it, in fact, forestall death? While searching for an apt subject for an experiment, I recalled a long-known colleague of mine, a Monsieur Ernest Valdemar of Harlem, New York, compiler of Bibliotheca Forensica. He is, or was, a very thin, nervous man with white whiskers and black hair. Multiple times in the past I have attempted to place him in a trance-like state. However, most times I failed to gain full control over Monsieur Valdemar's will. My theory was that this was due to the disease he was suffering from, what many know as physis a disease that causes its victims to waste away. Sometimes, Valdemar spoke calmly of his imminent death. As we conversed and I shared my thoughts with him, he grew excited and promptly agreed to become a subject for experimentation. He had no relatives in America who would object to it, of course, and the plan was set. The course of the disease is predictable, even down to the hour of death. Valdemar and I agreed that 24 hours prior to his expected death, I would arrive and begin the experiment. Many months passed, the disease taking its toll on his frail body. Repeatedly, I would check on his condition to no avail. 
Finally, the message arrived from a courier. The time had come. When I arrived at 7 p.m. Saturday for the experiment, Monsieur Valdemar was so thin that his cheekbones showed through his skin. He coughed frequently and with more force than I expected from such an ill individual. His pulse was faint. Nevertheless, he retained a presence of mind and a modicum of physical strength. Two physicians attended to him. They informed me that Valdemar's disease had ruined his lungs and that they believed he had an aneurysm in his heart. He was expected to die at midnight, Sunday. The doctors left us alone with the plan to return to check on Monsieur Valdemar at 10 p.m. the next day. Throughout the next 24 hours, I discussed the experiment with him. I had begun to have second thoughts about the undertaking, for the only witnesses present to observe it were to be just two nurses. We wait to begin during which time I was able to hire a medical student to witness the experiment and take notes. We arrived back at Valdemar's residence at 8 p.m., and I began working immediately, realizing that time was short for my subject. I began by passing my hand over Valdemar's forehead, a technique I had previously found successful in mesmerizing him. However, in spite of a promising initial response, further efforts had no effect desperation and frustration grew. When the doctors arrived at 10 p.m., they permitted me to continue the experiment. After all, Valdemar would be dead very soon. At 10.55, Valdemar began slipping into a trance. Over the next hour, I continued to work on him, passing my hands over him in an attempt to drive him further into the trance. At midnight, all present agreed that he was despite the lack of pulse and breathing, in a perfect state of mesmerism. One doctor, excited, decided to stay with Valdemar through the night. The other planned to return in the morning. The medical student and the nurses also remained with me, curiosity burning. At 3 a.m. I spoke to Monsieur Valdemar, inquiring as to whether he was asleep or dead. Yes asleep now. Do not wake me. Let me die so. I questioned the sleep waker again, asking him whether he was in pain and as much as his limbs were rigid. No pain. I am dying, Valdemar moaned. When the other doctor arrived in the morning, he was astonished that Valdemar still lived. After conferring, the doctors advised that Valdemar should remain in his present state until death, expected in minutes. I presented the question again, asking whether he was still sleeping. Immediately Valdemar's eyes rolled back, the skin turning white, the circular spots on his cheeks disappeared and the lower jaw fell, exposing a black tongue. So hideous was he that everyone stepped away from him, wanting to distance themselves from the corpse. After we, myself and the doctors, pronounced him dead, his tongue vibrated, and in a minute, we heard his voice. The sound seemed to come from a cavern deep in the earth. Valdemar then answered the question I posed to him moments before. Yes, no, I have been sleeping, and now... Now, I am dead. The medical student fainted. The nurses left, refusing to return. 
The doctors and I spent the next hour trying to revive Valdemar. However, we observed that his breathing had indeed stopped. Moreover, any attempt to draw blood failed, as did my command to make him move an arm. However, Valdemar tried to answer questions, his tongue vibrating, but could not articulate. Other nurses were hired. I, along with the doctors, left at 10 a.m. We returned in the afternoon, finding that Monsieur Valdemar's condition remained unchanged, but to awaken him, we believed, would be to lose him completely. For seven months he remained in his trance. Nothing changed. Finally, the doctors and I agreed that our only course was to try to awaken him. After using the same mesmeric technique I had used to put him in a trance several times, the iris of Valdemar's eyes descended part way and emitted a foul-smelling fluid. I commanded Valdemar to move an arm, a command which remained unfollowed. I spoke to him once more, asking him what he desired. For God's sake, quick, quick, put me to sleep, or quick, waken me, quick, I say to you that I am dead. As I rapidly made mesmeric passes amid ejaculations of dead, dead, absolutely bursting from the tongue and not from the lips of the sufferer, his whole frame at once, within the space of a single minute, or even less, shrunk, crumbled, absolutely rotted away beneath my hands. Upon the bed, before that whole company, there lay a nearly liquid mass of loathsome, of detestable putridity. On the count of three, you will awaken. One, two, three. That was quite the story. When the story first was released by Edgar Allan Poe, it was actually thought to be a legitimate scientific paper. In fact, many people who read it would actually write back to him or the newspapers uh, proclaiming things about their own experiments or their own experiences with death and hypnotism. Eventually, it got so bad and so overwhelming that Poe had to release a new statement uh, to be published letting everyone know that this was actually a fake paper. No study of this had ever been done. No case of M. Valdemar had ever been found. Nothing in regards to that. But unlike many of Poe's other stories at the time, which didn't really catch on with readers, this one seemed to have the biggest impact. It's actually considered to be one of the goriest and most disturbing Poe stories of all time. And you can clearly see his obsession with mesmerism. That also comes through in a few other stories of his, such as A Tale of the Ragged Mountains and Mesmeric Revelation. In terms of the idea of the story, of course, with his obsession with mesmerism, he also had a lot of things going on at the time. One of those was the death of his wife, uh, who was sick with tuberculosis, and many suspect that M. Valdemar was also suffering from tuberculosis. So he had this 
kind of morbid obsession with the disease and how it was racking his wife's body. So he wanted to portray that in here as well. He also was influenced by a famous mesmerist at the time by the name of Andrew Jackson Davis. So between the mesmerist and Virginia, he came up with this wonderfully grotesque picture of kind of the worst things that could happen with mesmerism. Of course, like any of these classic stories and tales, it has been adapted and redone multiple times. One of the most famous ones would have to be by George Romero, who any horror fan would know more for his collection of the Living Dead zombie movies. There have been some other movies and stories featuring hypnotism. While hypnotism and mesmerism aren't really regarded as truly horror-inducing or terrifying, there have been quite a few notable movies that have explored that as a plot point. Uh, one of them was a 1999 film by David Coep called Stir of Echoes. In this, starring Kevin Bacon, Tom, the main character played by Bacon, undergoes hypnosis for therapy. As a result of the hypnosis, he does begin to have hallucinations and he develops a psychic link to his son and uses that to find a young girl that's been lost. More recently, we have the movie Get Out, a 2017 horror movie by Jordan Peele. While this had a lot going on in terms of a thriller, it explored racism and has a very disturbing secret, spoilers of course here, regarding brain swapping. Um, one of the biggest plot factors is that the mother of the girlfriend that the main character is seeing is a hypnotic therapist. She also uses those skills to keep the subjects that they collect under their control and convince them that the mind that they have inside of them is their legit mind. Also more recently, we have the show Alias Grace, which premiered on Netflix. While it was only one small part of it, many people that I've talked to and have seen this have said that the actual scene is very, very frightening. Uh, in the final episode, hypnosis is used to help Grace to learn what had occurred during some murders that she was accused of in the very beginning of the show. While there, while in the hypnotic state, she discovers that she was actually possessed during the murders, and the demon comes out during the hypnosis. So her voice changes, all these words that she would never use come up. Again, many of the people I talked to have regarded this as a very surprisingly and unsettling, terrifying scene. We also have a lot of true cases of hypnotism where the results didn't really pan out as well. Most of the time when people go to these mesmerist shows or, or see these stage performers, it's, it's usually an act, somebody who is in on the gag or whatever's going on. But there have been these cases where they believe that the hypnosis actually took. I'm only going to talk about one of them today because it kind of jumped at me, but this was the case of Sharon Tavern. This was in 1993, so a true crime case. Uh, Sharon was a 24-year-old mother of two. She went to one of these hypnotism shows, uh, volunteered to be a part of the show herself. So she was put under, and then she was told that she would wake up by 10,000 volts, such as being in an electric chair. So she was very frightened of electricity, so the thought was hopefully to do what most people do with hypnotism, is kind of convince you that there's really not much to be afraid of. So she was awoken, acted like she was being shocked and everything, uh, but five hours later, she actually died suddenly. Um, 
the medical examiner said that it was due to suffocation of her own vomit from her body tensing up due to what they believe was the hypnotic state she was in. She was so in a panic and her body was reacting as if it had been truly electrified. So kind of a frightening and albeit morbid case of what can happen when hypnotism actually does take and kind of goes wrong. In the internet world, we also have a trick that people want to play on you, so better watch out if you do end up Googling any of this. There is a hypnosis jump scare. Uh, I may have mentioned in the past, uh, or kind of touched on it, but jump scares I don't really deem as true horror. So when people do these, they're kind of taking the easy way out. So this one is a black and white swirling circle, tells you to look at it and you'll be hypnotized. And then roughly about 10 seconds into it, something jumps out at you. I just wanted to mention that there are people who try to use most anything for a horror or at least a cheap thrill. We have some well-known mesmerists. Of course, there's many, many, many in real life. A, a lot of people who have viewed it as a science, as a legit field of medicine, and it is. There are proven facts that it does work. Um, it can help with people who are susceptible to it or open to it. Uh, but I'm going to talk more about some fictional ones because I think it's just much more interesting and you get to see how the fun side of it can be or sometimes the scarier side. Uh, we have Captain Underpants from the children's books and movies Captain Underpants. Uh, the two protagonists do hypnotize their principal to convince him he's a superhero, and it works for the most part. Uh, he doesn't really have superpowers until later on, but he legit does, and he actually gets woken up by water, which is a kind of fun way to bring it out. So it's a snap to go in, water to go out. Uh, in real life, but kind of built up into a legendary status, we do have Rasputin. Now, Rasputin was a big legend in Russia uh, around the turn of the century. He was very close to the Romanov family who was in charge at the time. He had a lot of myths and a lot of stories told about him even before he entered the picture with the Romanovs. And, of course, his relationship with them... It just exacerbated everything. Uh, one of the things that people said about him is he was able to hypnotize you, and that's why he was in power and in the position he was in, because he was keeping the Romanovs mesmerized with his words and his actions and everything. He was viewed as kind of a sorcerer, but because he was so powerful, nobody really wanted to mess with him or take him out of that power. Uh, there were actually cases where people tried to kill him, and I think it was something like seven times that he was... Something had happened to him, poison, bullet, anything, and he just refused to die. Uh, but he was believed to be a mystic. He could heal anyone, or he could hurt someone. Uh, back in the more fictional realm, we have Jafar and Ka, both Disney characters known for their hypnotism. Uh, the reason I link these two together is because they have kind of the same MO. Jafar uses a snake staff to power his hypnotism through, and Ka is a snake. Um, throughout the years, there's actually been a belief that snakes were able to hypnotize their prey and or humans due to the way that they move their head while they're hunting, uh, while they're stalking a prey, things like that. People believe that it was an actually a form of hypnotism. Uh, much back into the horror realm here, we've got the, the big bad vampire Dracula. Of course, we're going to talk about Dracula a lot more in detail in future episodes because he is really one of the biggest parts of the vampire mythos. 
one of the pieces of mythos that he created or his character created was the fact that vampires were also able to hypnotize their prey. They would come up on whoever they wanted to feed off of. They would usually have them look into their eyes, hypnotize them, and put them in a docile state in order for them to feed. They would also implant these thoughts in their mind that they were allowed back to where they were or back to this feeding person to keep their meals going. So they would actually keep a lot of their prey alive. In the fairy tale realm, we have this one character uh, called the Pied Piper. He's not directly a mesmerist. His story goes as such that the town of Hamlin hired him to get rid of a bunch of rats that were infesting the town. So he came into town, he had a flute, he would play this melody, and the rats would all come out of hiding. They would follow him, and he eventually led them out of town into out in the wild, far away from them. The townspeople were, of course, very excited about this, not having these rats infest their place anymore and getting into their food. Because he was gone, though, the townspeople decided that they weren't going to pay him. They had just decided that he had done it. There was no reason to pay him. So when he came back, they were going to argue, and they didn't even think he was going to come back. Well, sure enough, the piper did come back, of course, and he expected his payment, and the town refused. They said, no, you got rid of everything. There's no reason for us to do this anymore. So the piper decided to come up with a plan, and what he did is when that night when they denied him, he played a melody, and he actually got all the children to follow him out of town. So quite a serious and scary ending to what many believe is a fun little fairy tale about this Pied Piper who could lead the rats out of town. I actually came up with a saying of time to pay the piper because of this, meaning that if you owe somebody something, something bad could happen if you don't pay up. And finally, we go into the video game realm. We've talked about kind of the scary parts of Pokemon, and there's actually a lot of backstory into it when you read into some of these Pokemon and how they came to be, some of the ghosts that happen. Um, take some time. There's a, quite a few lists, and we might tackle some more on here if it applies into. But uh, one of the things we're going to talk about is Hypno. Um, as you may have guessed from his name, he is a hypnotism Pokemon. Similar to the Pied Piper, which we just talked about, he is known for hypnotizing children. He would come and he would use his yo-yo to put them asleep, and then he would feed on their dreams and leaving only nightmares behind. There's actually a poem or a lullaby that was created for this just because of his backstory. And it goes as follows. Come, little children, come with me. Safe and happy you will be. Away from your homes, now let us run. With Hypno, you'll have so much fun. Oh, little children, please don't cry. Hypno wouldn't hurt a fly. Be free, be free to play. Come down in my cave with me to stay. Oh, little children, please don't squirm. Those ropes I know will hold you firm. Hypno tells you this is true, but sadly, Hypno lied to you. Oh, little children, you mustn't leave. Your families for you will grieve. Their minds will unravel at the seams, allowing me to haunt their dreams. But surely all of you must know that it is time for you to go. Oh, little children, you weren't clever. Now you shall stay with me forever. So remember, next time somebody wants to hypnotize you or convince you that it's the right way to get rid of any of those habits 
might be better to keep them just a little while longer. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Fairy Tales, written and produced by me. Music, as always, is provided by Nicholas Gasparini. New episodes are released every Wednesday, and if you do enjoy the show, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, as well as leave me a five-star rating and review. Uh, Every little bit of feedback helps, plus the reviews and ratings do get seen and allow the show to get more exposure and get seen. So if this is something you do enjoy and want to support, that's the biggest way you can show me. Uh, be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at FearyTales13. Also, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash FearyTales. And you can take a look at some of the rewards and goals that I'm trying to hit and uh, some things that we have. For the last few weeks, I was releasing mini-sodes on Friday, which are one of the Patreon rewards and something I would love to keep going, featuring some short stories and some other little tidbits that we find in short episodes for Friday. So definitely take a look at that and uh, see what you feel. One last reminder that I am taking submissions for original stories, so if you would like to collaborate, learn what kind of themes I'm going to be touching on soon, what kind of stories I'm looking for, I'd definitely love to hear from you guys. Uh, My email is fairytales616 at gmail.com. So send me a message over there, just asking any questions that you may have, wanting to discuss any things, or any other topics or themes that you guys might have, as well as some recommendations, because I'm always looking for new things to discuss. So once again, I thank you for checking in to Fairy Tales, and I hope you guys have a very frightening night.